Hello friends, this is Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy with Catholic Studies Academy. If you have benefited from the unique perspectives and insights provided by CSA programming, we're going to ask you to contribute to our mission. Please like, rate, review, and share our videos and podcast. In addition, subscribe to our YouTube channel and our channel on SoundCloud. Also, if you have been inspired to deepen your knowledge of Catholic philosophy and theology, we invite you to become a subscriber. We now have more than 100 hours of systematic philosophy and theology that you can access at your convenience. We are excited to be bringing solid Catholic philosophy and theology to a wider audience, and we appreciate your support. God bless. Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And today, our topic is going to be nature and grace. And we brought this up uh, in the podcast on modernism catechesis, and then we brought it up again in the uh, the past podcast on uh, human evil, which is a great one. If you haven't listened to that one, go back. Um, and, the, and the interaction of grace and nature, it's a it's an interesting topic, and it's a mysterious one. You know, at that, it's, you know, sometimes I think we, we bring this up, this comes out, you know, in our prayer lives about, uh, you know, how God's grace, how do we recognize it? How do we interact with it? How does it affect our nature? Um, can we see it? Uh, is it, you know, sprinkles on top of the cake how do we uh how do we understand this uh the the grace that god bestows upon us and how do we we interact with it and and it's been you know uh since kind of the middle of the 20th century there's been much debate about the the distinction between nature and grace and particularly the uh Thomistic position and the classical distinction between nature and grace um so dr smith um to get us started Maybe why was this, you know, why was this a big issue kind of in the middle of the 20th century? And, you know, what was what was maybe, you know, some of the reasoning of why they wanted to move away from the the classical distinctions between uh, nature and grace? Yeah. So um, it is an important topic, like you said, Jason, related to um, the things we've talked about with respect to both modernism, sort of the reduction of the supernatural to the natural. Mm -hmm. Um, it's related to uh, the issues about desiring God and and the ways in which maybe uh, original sin corrupts that right. or is a, impedes that desire. In the middle of the 20th century, the focus was slightly different, but it was related to all of that. And that is um, the if 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 listeners at all familiar with the movement known as Nouveau Theologia or the New Theology, uh, this was something that grew out of. Uh, the work of uh, Henri de Lubac, uh, Yves Cognard, uh, and others uh, that was uh, sometimes called the Ressourcement movement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the claim was that they were going to move towards something that is uh, more historically rooted in Christianity and more, at the same time, more attentive to, I guess, the dynamism of the human person, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. and to uh, concrete lived Christian experience. Mm -hmm. um, and they thought that the, they claimed, again, whether this is true or not is another question, yeah. but uh, they claimed rhetorically that this this was represented, this kind of, the idea of the dynamic human person, right, and his historical situatedness 
uh, was more represented in earlier patristic writing and uh, kind of distorted in the work of the medieval scholastics. Uh, what, this came to a head, I think, in the work of Henri de Lubac, who wanted to argue really that we have a natural desire for the beatific vision and uh, that the um, um, that really the distinction between nature and grace is an artificial one mm. and makes grace almost superfluous to nature or makes nature sound as if it's autonomous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it can be understood and sort of almost perfected without grace, right? Um, and so that, that grace is um, almost just sort of, like you said uh, in your intro, like sprinkles on the cake, right? It's just icing on the top of the cake. That nature is whole, right, and complete without bringing in grace or revelation, and I think from an apologetic 21st or 20th century point of view, right, they thought, you know, what we want to do is show that, like, there's something incomplete about human nature without bringing in Christ and grace. Uh, so there's some good reasons for that, you know, a good motivation there. Mm -hmm. And personally, it was a great deal that I've enjoyed uh, and benefited from in Andre de Lubac's work. Um, uh, that said, I think his his criticisms of the classical position, I think, fall short and fail to really recognize the full importance and, and merit of the position. Yeah, and we had talked about this a little bit before with regards to, you know, with one particular kind of flavor of modernism was kind of just reducing uh, everything to God's grace. Mm -hmm. You know, well, just, you know, everything is grace. Whereas not, you know, well, you know, we can say, you know, yes, the human person is made in the image and likeness of God and that life is a gift from God that we need to say that nature, though, is really distinct from mm -hmm. grace, from God's right. actual grace, yeah. uh, from God's uh, um, sanctifying grace, that there's a that there's a real distinction. Now, did they did they hold when it came to like that specific thing? Did they hold that distinction that... You mean Henri? Yeah, yeah, Henri de Lubac. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I think, uh, sure. Uh, I mean, he has... <clears throat> his great work on this has never been translated into English, Surnatural. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. Um, but the... Um, if there are any publishers out there who want to pay me to do it full-time, <laughs> that, that's fine. I'm just, just not out there. But uh, the... Um, uh, um, but he does have a little uh, book on nature and grace. I think it's currently published by Ignatius Press. Mm -hmm. uh, he also has some other things that uh, are out there, smaller works. Yes, of course he recognizes that there's a sense in which it's supernatural. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, is very hesitant to say, to, to deny that we have a natural desire for the beatific vision, mm, right? Okay. And I think that's where the rub comes in. And, and to be frank, I mean, outside, uh, like, a lot of fine people subsequent to this, I think, you know, the people who kind of follow John Paul II and Benedict XVI or the kind of communio group um, yeah. tend to, to you know, sort of um, um, still advocate, you know, the, this position, right, that we're, we have a natural, that we naturally are ordered to God. Uh, I think, you know, um, you know, with all due respect that, Thomas's position is is better and needs to be understood more thoroughly. But well, let's know. well let's dive right into it. Let's look at uh, kind of 
that uh, that the classical distinctions then with uh, mm-hmm. uh, grace and nature. So how does how does Thomas um, set this up with the the human person in that interaction with sure. grace? So uh, you know, as is always the case with good scholastic theology, right? You have to start with some clear definitions and distinctions, right? <laughs> and this, of course, annoys people sometimes, but yeah, so yeah, rigid, it, <laughs> yeah, and clear. Right? So, uh, so let's get clear about what we mean by nature. We use nature probably in a fairly loose way often, mm-hmm. right? Just sort of what happens most of the time, right? Or uh, the way you're born, right? Um, uh, the the and both of those senses of nature are, of course, both of those uses of that word are related to what Thomas has in mind, to mm-hmm. be sure, right? Mm-hmm. One of the ways that one of the indications. Notice it, indications, right? Signs of what nature is, is the way things are for the most part, uh, or always. Uh, another indication is the way things are born, right? So that's an indication. You know, um, to be uh, to be born with two eyes, right, and four limbs mm-hmm. and ten fingers is natural to a human being. That indicates something about our nature, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't congenital defects, right? In which case somebody might be born without all of their limbs, right? Or all right. of their fingers, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, we recognize, right, the sad reality of that. Um, we don't deduce nature from it. We say, well, what's natural, right, is um, is is the other, right, is having four limbs and ten fingers. Um, so there is a way in which it's related, but as the scholastics in general wanted to provide a metaphysical way of thinking about things, right? Mm-hmm. A way that really penetrated to being, right? In right. reality. So they could say, look, this is what happens for the most part. But what they wanted to do then was to infer, like, well, what's the underlying reality that causes this to happen? Right. right? Does that right. make sense? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So this is where we come in to talk about nature and about essence and things uh, like that. Uh and and powers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Potencies and so forth. Uh, so when you're thinking about this debate, you need to sort of you need to think about it in terms in which the the it, you think about it within the intellectual context in which it grew out of, or from which it grew. So um, when Thomas is thinking about nature, he's thinking about it in a way that's similar to the to the way Aristotle did, and that nature is an intrinsic principle of growth and development and movement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to put it more more concisely, it's an intrinsic principle of motion. Okay. Um, now, I, I get it; that sounds pretty dry, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually quite helpful um, here. Uh, so, an intrinsic principle of motion, right? Um, say the uh, the nature, like a tree, mm-hmm. like a natural species of tree, right, has an intrinsic. Uh, principle of change, right? And mm-hmm. that is its its growth, right? So that within a given environment, within the right environment, um, uh, that tree will change in somewhat predictable ways due to its own intrinsic principles, right? Right. That that is it. It has an intrinsic constitution and structure that inclines it to develop and flourish within a certain way. Right. right. If I sense. if I plant an acorn from an oak tree, it will develop mm-hmm. into an oak tree and not a palm tree. Right. Yeah. Right. Within the within the same environment, 
Also, right. you wouldn't expect it to start talking, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to get up and move about, right? Those sorts of things, right? If that started to happen, you would have to either revise <laughs> your understanding of the nature of tree or say, man, there's something really weird going on. Yeah. So just as an aside, like I love the Ents, right, in Middle Earth yeah. <laughs> um, for this reason. Right? Oh, yeah. These talking trees, right? It's amazing. But it's it's fantasy, right? That's not that doesn't belong to the nature of tree as such, right? Um, uh, so that's when you talk about nature, right? Again, an intrinsic principle, an intrinsic. Uh, it's a constitution uh, within the thing mm-hmm. that inclines it towards a typical kind of routine, right, or predictable cycle of development. And so, yeah. b- so before. Before original sin, we we were we were you know man was given this internal principle of uh, movement and growth, mm-hmm. which was ordered towards God. Correct. <clears throat> well, I think that's a little more complicated. <laughs> I, right, that's a prelapsarian state, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, those are always fun, though. Go back. <laughs> oh, can I say one other thing? Yeah, about yeah. Nature before we get. To- yeah, yeah. That's ahead. important. Uh, I think what's helpful here is to distinguish nature and art before we bring in nature and grace. Okay. Uh, so art in Thomas's way of thinking about it would be taking that same tree, right. And, and you, uh, chop it down. Right. And then, um, uh, put it through, uh, you mill, you put it through the milling process, mm-hmm. right. Turn it into usable timber, right. Lumber, right. And then, uh, turn that lumber into furniture. So now I'm sitting uh, presently, uh, uh, people who are seeing this on YouTube might see that I have my empty bookshelves behind me still, still, still getting settled here, my new place. But those uh, uh, wooden bookshelves, right, now have a capacity that they did not have as a tree. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. So that now they can go, now they can, they've undergone this change to where they're, it's finished lumber, right? It's finished lumber that can now hold books. Um that's art. That's not intrinsic to the nature of tree. Right. Does that right, make right. sense? Right? Yeah, no, that's good. Artifice, you know, human artifice had to come in and change what was already there, mm-hmm. right, into something that could hold books. Right. right. So in a sense, it took on powers and capacities that it did not have originally. Now, very important, and I'm gonna this will be helpful later. Lumber, uh, the nature of tree is such that it has the potency to be elevated to a different kind of structure and potency. Do yeah. you follow me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liquid, liquid water cannot become, right? Notice I said liquid water, right? Liquid water cannot become a bookshelf, right? right? It just doesn't have that kind of, it makes the book soggy, right? <laughs> it would destroy them and it can't hold them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does that make so now if you were going to be a smart aleck, you could say, well, but what if you froze the books? I mean, froze the, uh, the water. Well, I said liquid water. But, but anyway, so you see the point here, right? So two things here. Yeah. One is that nature through art can be given potencies and capacities, right, that it wouldn't have intrinsically. And in addition to that, nature, any nature is intrinsically open to or closed to certain kinds of art right right artificial changes right right right, right. okay that's that good that, yeah that and that that gives a good image i think for 
at least for me and I'm sure for our, for our listeners as well, uh, especially when we get into, uh, you know, how does how does grace work uh, mm-hmm. on nature? So that'll be right. uh, that'll be uh, very helpful. And I know we right. can't always get into the uh, prelapse area questions as fun as those. <laughs> no, 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 we could go there. I'm ready now. <laughs> so, uh, so the way St. Thomas conceptualizes yeah. this, and I think that this is, I mean, I think it's supported by, um, uh, uh, you know, the Council of Trent, um, is the view, right, that w- that what what we have in the garden yeah. prior, so the prelapsarian state is prior to the fall, prior to original sin, mm-hmm. that we have in the garden is not strictly natural, right? right. Or ex- exclusively nature, right? Uh, certainly it's, it includes nature, right? Uh, so Adam and Eve have two eyes and two ears and all that sort of thing. Uh, they would have uh, reproduced in natural human ways, all that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, right, they were actually enjoyed the state of original justice, right? So that the state of original justice is prior to the state of original sin. The state of original justice includes an elevating grace, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an elevating grace that uh, St. Thomas talks about as including uh, special knowledge, right. right? Knowledge that goes beyond nature, as well as the integrity of our powers, mm-hmm. right? So that the will and the passions all lined up with reason. No concupiscence, right? so yeah. There's no concupiscence, that's right. They didn't mean that we were incapable of sin, it just right. meant that we weren't inclined to it, right? right. Um, so that right there should tip your hand and make you think, hmm, okay, or tip you off and say, wait a second, um, why? why? Why would why have this extra thing involved in the garden, right? That goes yeah. beyond nature. And I think that that helps us to moves us towards thinking about, okay, well then what is grace, right? Yeah. Well, so it's a couple of different ways of thinking about this. Um, I do want to say, I think it's important to recognize that Thomas recognizes what he calls uncreated grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what we usually talk about in Catholic theology very much, but it's actually in Thomas and, and very important uncreated grace are those actions, those acts of God, decrees of God, you could say, mm-hmm. right? That are not strictly either merited or naturally due, right? Okay. So prior to receiving, you know, prior to all the grace of the sacraments, right, that we receive, God gratuitously decreed that there would be such a thing as sacraments, right? Right, right. right? So, God's graciousness, right? His graciousness, right, is in the background of any kind of created grace. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. God didn't of... have to make the sacraments. Yeah, right. God didn't have to send His only Son to die for us, right? God didn't have to do any of those sorts of things, right? right? Um, all of that was the graciousness of God uh, towards His creatures. Um, so. Uh, with that in the background, though, what we usually focus on when we think about grace are the gift, the gratuitous gifts of God, or the supernatural. Now you notice now I can use the word supernatural, right? Yeah. The supernatural gifts of God. Uh, technically, we can think of this as qualities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that are infused into a person's soul, right? Um, but uh, you know, just less technically, if you want to say, I think supernatural gr- uh, gifts. Right is is fine language to use, um, supernatural. So these are are 
things that go gifts from God that go beyond our natural powers, right? Now, see, very often people get confused because they just use the language gift of God. Right, right, right. They don't add supernatural. And then they say, well, wait a second. Everything is a gift from God, and therefore everything is grace, yeah. right? right? And it, from a certain point of view, I think, okay, if you want to speak very loosely, okay, that's fine, <laughs> I guess. Um, but it's sort of, I get, it makes me nervous in the same way it makes me nervous when someone says, everything is worship, or everything is evangelization. I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, but kind of not. Too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because whenever you do that, right, when you start saying everything is worship, then what you end up saying is everything is worship and nothing in particular, right? Uh, like, you know, nothing in particular stands out as worship. Yeah, that's absolutes are very dangerous. The mass, yeah, yeah, the liturgy and the mass are the highest forms of, of worship that we know of, of course. Um, uh, so anyways, um, the, uh, uh, I think what you want to do is say the supernatural gifts of God. So God has already mm. created the order of nature. That is... Um, setting aside congenital defects having two eyes is natural right mm -hmm. and then people say oh then it's not related to god no okay saint thomas of course thinks that all of nature is radically dependent upon god's causality right right right, right. right. if anything thomas has a thomas's view about the relationship between nature and god is scarily <laughs> close and intimate and dependent right yeah um so uh, this just is is kind of an ignorant uh, thing to 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 say, right? In the literal sense, you just don't know what you're talking about. Um, Saint Thomas thinks that nature is deeply dependent upon God, right? Um, but that it, it, it's dependent on, upon God in a way that involves the intrinsic efficacy, right, of created substances, the intrinsic integrity of second of created substances, it includes the the real causal power right of created substances right so you know is it any diminishment of god for me to talk about the way in which the cones in the back of my eye help me to see no of course not right? yeah. okay that's just part of the the the, the of human nature right? yeah, yeah. understanding the external power uh sense power of sight right we don't have to of course ultimately right if you're talking about it all in sort of the the deepest philosophical ways, right? Yeah. We'd ultimately bring in the way in which nature depends upon God, God's first causality, God's wisdom, all those sorts of things. They're all there. But we can also approximately talk about, without any prejudice to the divine, the ways in which the optic nerve contributes to sight. Yeah. It's just obvious, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so we could say, though, that there could be something... Um, supernatural right mm -hmm. maybe this might be really obvious say in the sense of a miracle let's say you're born with a congenital defect of the eyes such that your eyes lose their natural power to see right their intrinsic power to see right it's not normal for that to be restored but let's say that some guy comes along and rubs mud in your eyes and says you know go wash it out and then you will see right well that's not natural yeah if, you, if it turns out that all of a sudden you can see that has nothing to do with the intrinsic power of the eyes or, or the external or the sense spit, power. Or the spit or yeah, the mud. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. there you see, oh, there's something supernatural, right? right. There's, some, there's some power at work, some force at work, some causality at work that is above the order of nature, 
right? Yeah. Not against, especially in the case I just noted, um, actually healing of the order of nature, right? Um, so uh, does that help? Does that make sense, Jason? Is that, is that helpful? Yeah, and even when we talk about the effects of baptism, you know, the, right. and the way that even St. Paul talks about it, you know, he says, uh, uh, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. That's okay. not... That's not that is, just a, sim, a nice yeah. symbol or a nice sentiment of right, how we right. should view our life from now on, that we're now part of this community, yada, yada, yada. Um, that's, that's a real thing. You know, it's not mm. in the order, in a, in, in a supernatural way. We are, we are supernaturally a new creation. Yeah, uh, not just a healed one. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the example I used was just a healing, right, of nature. Yeah. But a new creation, right? I mean, that... That indicates something uh, really radical and metaphysical. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, and th- that was even a, a big. Um, uh, we don't we don't need to get into it, but that was a big critique of uh, some of uh, Christopher West's work with the theology of the body. That original sin had deflated the tires, and God's grace just reinflated uh, the tires. That's uh, not. That's not a. a it, it's a very bad analogy. <laughs> I'll just. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. It's it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's one critique of others one could make of Christopher. Yeah, Wilson. yeah, yeah. There's, I think, there's an entire dissertation out there of <laughs> of his work. Um, but but uh, you know, uh, not to not to you know harp on him too much. But but I mean, like that's kind of that that understanding of uh, uh, kind of everything is grace or grace uh, just heals. Whereas mm-hmm. what we're saying is what grace actually does is it makes a tree a bookcase as opposed right. of just healing a, a broken limb. So I think what you want to say is it, is it heals and elevates, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, you could right. say restores and transforms. Um, but the, that uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's not, that's why the tire reinflating the tires is not good enough. Right. It, yeah. It's okay. It's like, it tells part of the story. Yeah. Right? No, it turns uh, into a but... flying car. That's what it does. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. It's not part right. of the nature yeah. of a car to fly. Right. So right. Um, turns it into an F 14. The, so, yeah, what you want to see here, right, is that the, is that grace then is something supernatural. Now, and I think the the example you just you just brought there about baptism is helpful here, especially the effects of baptism, because this gets at why Thomas think this is important, right? Yeah. Uh, which is that uh, on several points, one is that having a clear distinction between nature and grace allows a clear distinction, not an absolute separation, not a dichotomy, not a dualistic antipathy. I mean, you'll you'll find this nonsense written about St. Thomas' position in, in many places, right? Just stop it. Okay. <laughs> um, the uh, um, none of those things. Okay, yeah. but okay, what we do recognize is a distinction. This distinction helps us to frame the Christian life, right, uh, in a certain way, uh, in terms of the gifts of the Holy, what like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the work of the sacraments understanding those as certainly healing, Mm -hmm. but also elevating us to a supernatural life, right? Mm -hmm. So both healing sin, but also elevating us to a different kind of life. In addition to, um, into that. So really like it's hard, it's much easier and clearer, I think, to understand 
the sacraments, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the theological virtues and the infused moral virtues. Uh, I can go back and define any of that if you want, but if we think about them in terms of grace being supernatural, right? Yeah. In addition to that, um, this distinction helps us to understand more clearly um, the um, uh, um, the gratuity of grace, right? That is that we do not deserve grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's real. I think that a lot of people are just deeply confused on this point about mercy and grace, right? People seem to think that they deserve God's grace. Yeah. That's, that's contrary to the very notion of grace. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, and then finally it helps us to understand not only the gratuity of grace, but also the transcendence of God. And the transcendence of the beatific vision, the transcendence of the ultimate end to which we are called. So in those three areas, right, the basic elements of Christian life, the gratuity of grace, and the transcendence of God, this distinction is very useful. Yeah, and one of the and one of the uh, 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 the catechism quotes uh, talking about uh, grace uh, that that I that I always found interesting was. Uh, I think, it, let's see, it's uh, paragraph um, 2005. Since mm-hmm. it belongs to the supernatural order, mm-hmm. grace escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith. We cannot therefore... Yeah, it's it's so important, but I, I love the next one. We cannot therefore rely on our feelings or our works to conclude that we are justified and saved. Um, yes. Of course, drawing on the uh, Great Council. What of number? Trent. We have grief days. What number is that? Uh, 2005. And, it, and it's it's referencing t-shirt. <laughs> it's a little long for a bumper sticker, but uh, I mean that's so good. Can you say why why that why that 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 quote jumped out at you? Well, well, the the, the first the, I mean the first part. Well, a it's you know again beginning with a firm foundation since it belongs to the supernatural order. Boom. Mm-hmm. So that immediately yep. situates grace outside of our. Uh, uh, natural tendencies, natural inclinations and things, then it explicitly states grace escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith. And so I think this really gets gets, uh, um, just kind of trashes the entire uh, uh, there. Well, there are those that can be, you know, uh, morally good or can be almost justified by, you know, well, they were a good person or, the good atheist or, uh, um, you know, or even just, um, that kind of divine intuition that all of us have, or that we are all in some way, just like you, like we had talked about, just kind of this, this naturally, uh, uh, I don't want to say aimed, but kind of just, we, we have this natural tendency to do good and to move towards God and so therefore we are, you know, in, in kind of, we're owed his grace almost in a way because we're quote unquote good that no, mm-hmm. no grace is wholly other. It, it's yeah. just, it's, and it's so it's different. Important that it can't be, it can't be empirically detected. Right. Yeah. Now that said, right. I think it's important to, to recognize that you would expect, right. That where grace is effective, that where grace is communicated. Right? Yeah, you would expect um, growth in virtue, at, at least fruits in keeping with repentance. Right? Yeah, that is, at the very least, right? You would expect um, 
a life of you know humble uh, repentance. Even if you have, let's say that I, I, you know it's funny. On this point, I, I like to be rather um, gentle in a way and say, for the because some Catholics I think do get kind of trapped in patterns of habitual sin. Mm-hmm. I, I think for the person, we'll say this carefully, for the person who has an attitude of genuine continuing repentance about that, right? That is the person who comes back to the sacraments over and over, you know, comes back over and over again with the serious intention of changing, with avoiding the near occasions of sin, at least often, right? Even if they fall back, I still have the tendency to think, okay, well, I'm seeing something there, you know, like yeah, I'm yeah, seeing yeah. at least the humility of the person who's willing to say, um, gosh, I suck. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know? Yeah. He never tries, he never tries to, he never tries you to know? justify his sin in any that, way like that. That's right. And, and even in that, even in that paragraph, the next sentence says, you know, however our Lord's word, you know, according to our Lord's words, thus you will know them by their fruits. Um, yeah. you know, so, so we can do say, yeah, yeah. You want to, you want to expect to see some fruit at the same time. I think it's, it's really important to keep in mind the objectivity of what is being stated here. Right. Yeah. That is grace places you in an objective, you receive grace through objective means of the sacraments and you, uh, it places you in an objective relationship to God, even if you don't feel like it, right. right. Even if you don't have certain things happen to you. Right. So we get this constant yammering today about, um, you know, this experience thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the, like you have to experience it like, Oh, you're not really a Christian until you've experienced, you know, sir, had certain experiences of Christ. Now, look, I think it's great when that happens. So mm-hmm. I think that is a fruit, right. Of a serious Christian life, right. Of serious discipleship. Yeah. Um, but it's not the reality of it, right? Because you could be having all sorts of feelings. I mean, your feelings are all over the place, right? Right. Um, and it doesn't assure you anything about your objective state, right? Yeah, and I Go think ahead. the other thing, the other, the other thing that it can fall into is that you know, for especially today when we when we you know try to put um, you know certain experiences of God as justifications of uh, your personal relationship with Jesus and things like that. I, I complete it. I, I think it completely discounts lot entire lives of fidelity, um, by an older generation, sure. you know, who, uh, sure. who knew, knew God's commands, loved God genuinely and yeah. lived a faithful life to him, even though they didn't yeah. have these, you know, mystical experiences uh, yeah. or, or wait, charismatic wait things. Yeah. Wait a second, Jason. Uh, didn't Jesus say that if you love me, you'll have certain feelings? Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> I don't right. think, I don't things, think that's how it went. Jesus didn't say. Yeah. He said, if you love me, do what? Follow my commandments. Yeah. Keep my commandments, right? Yeah. That's obedience. Yeah. The thing you do. It's not a feeling you have. So grace is not this thing that we can detect by some scientific method. Uh, as the catechism right. says, it escapes our experience. We can know it by faith. But at the same time, uh, you know, it says that that there will be these fruits sure, uh, yeah. from it. Yeah, that's important. Uh, and very often there'll be supernatural fruits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, fruits, you know, in terms of by supernatural, I mean sort of like the the life of the the theological virtues. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but those those graces really come through the sacraments. Of course, they come from the Holy Spirit through the sacraments. Yeah. Um, but ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, and of course, they can come in, in, in other ways too, right? I mean, uh, there can be actual graces, right, that are received uh, uh, outside of that. But what grace does then in these cases, right, is that it elevates our natural powers, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what's important here is that it, it brings us to a... Um, a life that we could not only does it heal our powers, right? Yeah. So it heals what we were talking about in our last podcast, but in addition to that, it elevates it. So let's get, get more specific here. Yeah. Um, the, um, um, our intellect as it is, right. Is not capable naturally of seeing God in his essence. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that's a Thomist position, um, but I think it makes good sense, and it's uh, easily defensible. Why is it the case that our, our intellect is not capable of seeing God in his essence? Our intellect's not capable of seeing God in his essence because right, our intellect is ordered towards knowing abstracted essences, that is, essences that are abstracted from sensible things. Mm-hmm. So while we can transcend sense, right, we're always rooted to sense powers. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, rooted yeah. to sense qualities. Um, now, God's essence is not like that. God's essence is not inherently rooted to sensible qualities. Mm. Um, and because of that, the human intellect is not uh, fit to um, to see it. Right. right, and it's uh, to to know it in itself. Now, it's now the divine essence is not opposed to the intellect because yeah. intellect is ordered towards reality and truth. Right, but the divine essence goes beyond our capacity to see as it is. So the intellect has to actually be elevated beyond itself, right, uh, in order to um, to attain. Uh, that Trinitarian life. Now you might say, why are we talking about the intellect all of a sudden? Well, because in Thomas's view, right, when he, when he, you know, he thinks about the ultimate end here, like what's the point of the life of grace? What's the point of the supernatural order that you were talking about from the catechism? The point of it, right, is our participation in Trinitarian life. Mm-hmm. And the way St. Thomas roots that is in, our, is in the beatific vision, so that we come to know God as he is in his essence, right, and thereby to enter into uh, knowing God and loving God as God knows and loves himself, right? So you think about sort of the classical image of the Trinity yeah. model, maybe, right? As um, intellect, truth, and love, mm-hmm. right? That's just a model. Right. <laughs> okay. But, you know, uh, that the, 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 the Son, right, is the knowledge flowing from God, uh, um, within God and that the Holy Spirit, right, is the love that that spirates, right, from the two, right, mm-hmm. you know, that, that emerges from that God's own self-knowledge. So that what we, the, entering into the to the Trinitarian, the Trinitarian life, we come to know in God, know, to know and love God as God knows and loves himself. That is supernatural, right? Um, that's not something that we are by our natural powers capable of doing. And it's not just like, and this was, well, yeah, well, we just need some help. It's That's not enough. Yeah, we need some help. I get that. Like my kids need some help 
you know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, picking up something heavy, right, or moving something that's heavy. That's just a quantitative ma- matter, though, right? Like, right, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm just at. I'm not doing anything there that that's they're not doing. It's just I happen to be stronger. Right? Yeah, they're applying muscle and using muscle fiber in, in in trying to push something, and I'm doing the same. I'm just bigger, right? Yeah, and 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 older. Um, that's not grace, right? Grace isn't just more of the natural. Right? It's not just help. Yeah, yeah. It's it like is. it's like living underwater. That's it's, right. Yeah. You know, like yes, yes, like yes, yes, Grace yes. gives us gills. You know, like That's right. it's something yes, wholly yes. different apart from uh, uh, apart from our very nature. It's right, supernature. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. And thinking about grace in that way, right, as a supernatural power, not only does it allow us, I think, in in uh, to avoid the kind of practical and spiritual errors we were just talking about. Yeah. But in addition to that, it really ennobles what's going on in the Christian life, right? And clarifies it, right? That what's going on in the Christian life is that we are being introduced into, um, elevated to a supernatural life, right? Yeah. That we wouldn't otherwise have. A life that is proper only to God, right? See, if you say that grace is merely natural, and merely helps us yeah. to enter Trinitarian life, then that suggests that Trinitarian life is proper to man and not proper to God alone. And that's false. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Knowing God in himself. I mean, does it say in sacred scripture, right. Um, that, that only God knows himself. I think so. Right? Yeah. Like, somewhere. You know, yeah. That, yeah. Right. I mean, that, <laughs> Like, that's a big deal, right? That man doesn't know God in himself, right? Shall we see him, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll become, but then we'll be becoming like him. See, right? That's not being like us. That's becoming like him, right? That's going beyond our nature, and 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 sort of going into that kind of theosis, right? That the that the uh, patristic fathers talk about, which is straight in line with what Saint Thomas is talking about—an elevated life, a participating in a life that's proper to God. Because God is not acting against our nature, but taking us beyond our nature. Yeah, and I think the Eastern Church, I mean, they call that deification. And, you know, and and rightly so. I mean, like, that's that speaks to it more truthfully about what it is. It's make it's not just making us better human persons, because sometimes that's that's what kind of the spiritual life today, it can kind of get kind of mixed in and and tainted with this kind of. Mm just uh pop psychology and things like that whereas sure. like no it's it's wholly right. different to the point right. where we can call it uh, theologically correct that we can call it deification you know obviously yeah. not that we become you know little gods and the trinity now has an extra person or something like that um but you know that because god that is god by his yeah. nature you know we do not yeah, sure. we do not uh, 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 have it and have a share in it in the same way that God sure. is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Thomas handled this well with his language of participation. Yeah. Right. And he, he, he says, and he's very clear on this and I, I get very annoyed with people who distort him on this because he's so clear on it. Right. He says, right. By participating, what we meet, what he means is knowing and loving in a way that's proper to God. Mm. Right. Um, and so, um, 
so that there you're able to both, I think, see that you're participating in something that's divine, yeah. right? You know, like the, you're you're acquiring a initiation into some uh, into a divine reality without at the same time saying you're God, right? Right. Like you know, there's only one God. Um, now this does bring up, um, and I, I do want to kind of just take this a little bit further. This does bring up though the question of okay, well, if it's really that, if it's really that kind of elevation, yeah. Does that mean that grace is extrinsic to, uh, um, to nature? Right. That is, do we need do do we need to? Doesn't that suggest that that maybe grace is just something super added to nature? Then, right? Like yeah. it's not, you know. And, and one thing, no, because we are talking about grace having two in the Thomas picture two functions: healing and elevating. Okay. Right. Um, but in addition to that, uh, there is something I want to say, and this is a, a kind of uh, a scary phrase, but um, I think it's the right point to bring it in. Um, there is a way in which human nature is always incomplete without grace, without mm. introduction into the supernatural order. Um, and the way Thomas have captured this is with the phrase obediential potency, mm. right? So obediential potency is very weird sounding, but it's... It's like what we were talking about earlier with respect to the bookshelf and the tree, right? Man has an intrinsic capacity to be elevated mm -hmm. to Trinitarian life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's a little different than saying he's naturally ordered or inclined to it. Right, right, Does right. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. This is one of the things uh, I think is important when you're talking uh, about Thomas's theology that we don't want to just talk about what the, about potency, right? Potency is important. Mm -hmm. But in addition to potency, very often when, you, uh, when we're talking about natural powers, we're talking about inclinations. Right? Yeah. We're not nat – we're naturally inclined to see, to speak, to eat, to reproduce, uh, to think rationally, <clears throat> to cooperate politically, et cetera. Those are things we're naturally inclined to do. Um, but we are not naturally inclined okay, <laughs> to participate in the, in the life of the Trinity, right? Yeah, we do have the capacity to be elevated to it, right? And that's the obediential potency, right? So it's not just a potency, right? It's a potency that requires obedience. That is, requires elevation, causality by a power higher than my own. Now, see, I can activate my own seeing powers to some degree. I can open my eyes, right? Yeah. I can activate my own nutritive power, at least uh, indirectly, by doing what? Eating food, right? I cannot, right, activate my potency for the life of the Trinity, right? Hence, it's obediential. It has to be activated by something entirely outside myself. Yeah, right? yeah. And the, uh, and the catechism is very clear that God's mm -hmm. free initiative demands man's free response. That, that there, there has to be this, uh, uh, um, it's not this thing that, you know, God forces on us his grace, you know, and that's why in the end, we're not all saved, uh, um, by just being good people or anything like that, but that it requires, uh, um, our free response to what he has freely given. Sure. Um, sure. And, but I think it's important to hear that, 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 um, that obediential potency points to the idea that prior to God's grace, yeah, even, uh, abstracting for the issue of original sin, man is incapable naturally of doing anything to right. advance his his sort of journey, as it were, right to the beatific vision. Um, 
into the life of the Trinity. Um, so that really puts, I think, the a fine point on two things that's important to remember. There is an intrinsic relationship between grace and nature. Mm-hmm. That is, grace, God's grace, is required for elevation, right, of nature to um, uh, to the life of the Trinity. There's a capacity within man that can never be fully actualized without grace. Right. Right. And that is that obedient, obediential potency for the Trinity. Um, so there is an intrinsic relation. Grace is not completely extrinsic to nature or superfluous to nature. Human nature will always be somewhat incomplete, right, without grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, and then the second important point, I think, to add to that is the gratuity of the whole situation. Right. Right. The, depend, the radical dependence of man on um, – on God and that when you really think about the gratuity of grace, maybe this is a, a good place to kind of start to wrap up mm-hmm. that gratuity extends to, I think, Jason, what you were talking about. Um, and, 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 you know, opens up, I think a further field of, of thought that we don't need to cover now, but just, you know, something to think about more um, is that response itself, right. Yeah. Is something that is, a gift of grace, right? Um, it's not two men rowing the boat, right? <laughs> That's the wrong image, right? Of man's cooperation with God's grace, right? right? It's not half man, half, you know, half of it's done by God and half of it's done uh, by man, right? Um, that that's that's semi Pelagianism. So um, and Francis, right? <laughs> well, I didn't say that either. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um, um, but anyway, so I mean, I think that's another area in which this issue, right? So once you start thinking through all of this, right, you see that this issue kind of expands out, I think, yeah. into other areas that are are worthy of of, of thought and contemplation. And I Maybe, think, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. well, I was going to say, and I yeah. think for 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 Catholics, it's important for us to hold the supernatural life where it belongs. That it's not just this, like you said, sometimes it gets reduced to just healing. That we have all of these, that we have this this, uh, this entire, almost that the supernatural life is natural. And all we, all, mm-hmm. we, all we need to do is be healed and we're participating in that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's not what it is. That the, the supernatural life, like St. Paul says, it, you know, it, you become a new creation. And so, I mean, I think when we... When we keep it in its proper order and as our proper object uh, to where the spiritual life needs to go and needs to be, uh, um, it's something that can't be simply set aside. Um, I think it's it's important for us, and because of things like pop psychology and things like that, there, there are a lot of things out there that sound good and well, but we must not reduce the supernatural life. Uh, to those things, but have that that correct understanding of of what it really is that it does fall outside of our nature that it is really the difference between the tree and the bookshelf you know or the you know uh, uh, a man trying to live underwater you know that that, that, that there's something that that is wholly different about uh, the the supernatural life I, and I, and I think when yeah. we hold it up there uh, um, it it, it it remains uh, mysterious. It remains beautiful, sure. and it doesn't get, 
you know, because again, one of the effects of modernism was that it essentially kind of just, you know, uh, chopped down the cross, uh, um, mm. that the whole vertical life was was reduced to the horizontal. Uh, it's mm. important for us to not do that in with regards to, to grace, uh, to the supernatural life and, and, you know, just all of God's uh, uh, gratuitous uh, mm-hmm. gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a, a important, uh, really important point, right? I mean, it just brings out the, the transcendence of what we're called to, the gratuity of what we're called to, um, really the, the amazing, um, um, shocking, right, uh, kind of reality uh, that God has um, called us to and that God, um, in the work of Jesus Christ, um, makes us capable of, of, of entering into, um, just to sum up, I would just remind everyone, like the, the three reasons why this is important, right. Is it helps us to think about the Christian life, Mm -hmm. which is what we're just in talking about. Um, and it's, it's dignity as a supernatural reality, not just more human, not just bigger human, not, 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 it's something that goes beyond human, but goes beyond human on the basis of the gratuity of God's grace and the gratuity of God's work, right? So that it shows, it brings out the the supernatural dignity of the Christian life, but also the dependence of that life on God and on God's work. And then finally, it, it secures very clearly the transcendence of God, mm-hmm. the way in mm-hmm. which God is wholly other uh, and beyond uh, in his own uh, Trinitarian life and um uh, being well said, Doctor Smith. I want to invite uh, uh, all our listeners to think about this. Uh, try to have those, you know, uh, uh, draw those visions. You know, use use those analogies like we had talked about here to to think about the supernatural life because it, you know, it is it is a difficult task, and there's a lot of uh, you know foreign ideas out there or just erroneous ideas out there. Um, but to try to have, you know, um, a, a good grasp of, of what it is, um, mm-hmm. because then when we understand what it is, we can move towards it in a correct way, you know. Um, and so uh, I want to invite all our listeners uh, in the meantime, uh, check us out at CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. Check us out on YouTube and on Facebook uh, and uh, check out all of our uh, great content that we have in our courses in philosophy and theology. Uh, and until next time, God bless.